UK Motor Talk. Well, hello everyone, we are back. I'm Mike. I'm Jim, hello. I'm Graham, hello, good evening. And I'm Dave, how's things? I, I think tepid. In fact, what it is, do you remember when you when you were a kid and you used to go on long road trips, and if you had a car that had leather seats or vinyl, and you happened to be sat in the back maybe with no shirt on or something, and you'd lean forward and you'd just go... <laughs> as you came away from the seat back. That is what's happening right now, because as we are recording, it is ridiculous. Ridiculously hot. It was like 28 point something on the drive home. It is very warm. It has turned out quite nice, but I think the as as is typical with the Brits, we're not quite getting the weather we hoped for. We were moaning about the summer not being warm enough, and now we're all moaning about it being too hot. A bit like the Belgian Grand Prix, isn't it? Everybody uh, moaned about the weather, prayed for rain, and then when the rain actually turned up, everybody moaned about it because it was too much rain. That is really is like the English weather, though, isn't it? It's either too much or not enough of one thing, and that's a typical English summer, basically, isn't it? And speaking of Grand Prix, there has been some Formula One new news hasn't there yes li- li- literally breaking news i would imagine we are probably the first semi-motoring based podcast recorded by four people sat at home with one person with his head in his hands editing it later on to actually break this news so i think that's a, that's certainly a, a mark in our copybook to uh, to bring this to you first uh, well i think it's probably motorsports worst kept secret for a long long time isn't it that uh, friend of the podcast george russell has been confirmed for mercedes next year so I'm uh, I'm I'm looking forward to that. I'm just massively excited by uh, by next year. I think his performance last year when he stood in for Lewis when he had uh, when he had the Rona will um I think it showed what what he's made of. You know, he didn't fit in the car properly. His shoes were too small. He'd never driven it before. Uh, didn't know the team, didn't know the procedures that well and, and was within a couple of thousands of Valtteri and then outraced him. And Valtteri, friend of the uh, the podcast, of course, again, uh, off to Alfa Romeo. I think that's that's maybe a good thing for him. I think that will give him a bit of a, a reset and a refresh, much as we've seen Vettel appear to be reinvigorated and reinvented after leaving Ferrari. It's It's probably good news all round, but I think Russell's going to run Lewis a lot closer, a lot quicker than than maybe some people are thinking. I think the expectation is Lewis to spend a year or two almost training Russell up as the uh, the successor. Um, but I, I can kind of see shades of Alonso in Hamilton here, in that Alonso was expected to spend a couple of seasons training Lewis up, but uh, Lewis stuck it to him straight away. I, I think George is going to do the same thing, but it's going to be exciting, whatever happens. Interesting that both have uh, been signed on multi-year contracts, which... Um... You know, given the fact that he is not an entirely proven driver as yet, you know, it just shows Toto's faith in him, uh, and the, the team statement confirms it's a multi-year contract, and uh, they're looking forward to bringing him on to uh, world championship status. I think it's a bit harsh on uh, on Valtteri, really, to have kept Valtteri on one-year deals all this time, and then to pop George on a multi-year deal straight away. I mean, I, I don't think they had a choice but to sign him now and get him into the main team. Otherwise, he was uh, he was quite clearly going to walk off to uh, to another team, to Red Bull or well, wherever he wanted, pretty much. But it's uh, it must it must smart for a bit for Valtteri. I think he's he's played the a dutiful role, and and certainly in in previous years, he's given Lewis a run for his money in qualifying more than I think any other driver in the races 
maybe not so much and, and over the course of the season Lewis has had the measure of him but he's uh, he's played a, a very dutiful role and helped the team towards many constructors championships so it's that does seem a little bit harsh, but um, maybe that's part of why Valtteri's lost a bit of his mojo over the last year. He he knew he was on the way out. I've no doubt he knew a lot a lot sooner than we all did, of course. Toto was uh, absolutely fulsome in his praise of uh, of uh, the team player and and what he'd bought in terms of the manufacturers' points and so on all the way through the last few seasons. But I I have this theory that. Uh, He's gone to Alpha for a reason because I think drivers that are now getting towards the tail end, if you like, of their careers, and uh, Kimi is a classic example just at the moment, but some of them I think are now planning longer careers. If you align yourself post F1 with a major manufacturer, and I think uh, Seb with uh, Aston Martin is a good example, uh, and I think Valtieri with Alfa Romeo is another good example. You've got a future career in development, in marketing, and you know you 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 are not just getting to the end of your F1 career, and hopefully somebody will offer you a TV gig. Um, the world has become more complex, and I think more people, more F1 drivers, are looking to longer-term careers by aligning themselves with uh, with a major player in the in the automotive industry. Oh, that's that's something that that Sterling Moss started off, and Jackie Stewart carried on and there seemed to be a bit of a dip for that didn't there but Jackie Stewart with his endorsements and Sterling with his his voice his brand his reputation his name um it's you're right it's very important because you don't get a, a massively long career as a Formula One driver I mean maybe uh Kimi being the the obvious exception at, at 20 years they're all thereabouts um for, for most drivers it's it's probably what 15 16 years is is really pushing it but yeah it's, it's important to think long term definitely talking of Kimmy you mentioned the fact that he's finally hanging up his helmet after 20 20 years to spend more time with the booze sorry the family and um I think that will be very interesting <laughs> to see what he goes on to do because he's not that old in terms of even Formula One we've had older drivers than Kimi still sort of making a mm. very good job of it and I think it would be a, a real loss to the the motorsport world if he really did just disappear into the forest and play with his schemobile and get as hammered as he possibly can but you know he's he's been he's been a real character and that's something Formula One lacks these days and it's one of the reasons I just don't I just don't watch it anymore as much as much as anything it's because they're just automata to me they're just PR automata and I would love to see somebody like I mean anyone that can stand there and fall off a boat whilst absolutely <laughs> hammered and then the then two days later go and basically qualify if not on pole somewhere near the front has got to be good in my book and you know, the more people like that there are, the better. I'm uh, I'm really going to miss Kimmy as uh, as a driver and as a personality. Just so straightforward, says it like it is. Um, but just just did. I mean, what what's he going to do in retirement? It's well, it's probably about the same as he's done all the way through his his Formula One career and the little break for rallying and other things and coming back again. He's going to do whatever Kimmy wants to do because that's what Kimmy does. As the Channel 4 commentary team suggested, they didn't think he'd likely be offered a TV job being a man of such few words and not all of them uh, usable in a broadcast situation. I think actually he'd be quite good at that. <laughs> he said he uh, he liked the, the year of Covid because although he missed the, the fans and the people, it meant he didn't have to do any TV interviews or PR appearances. 
so he, he quite enjoyed it but it's a uh, just yeah to, to to drink that much and and then perform you know within a couple of days i think there was his his 14 or 15 day bender wasn't there in between a couple of grand prix where he was just drunk the entire time but rocked up and and put in one of the best performances of his life but like kimmy says as long as you have more drinking days than hangover days then then you're okay <laughs> probably, probably quite accurate the james hunt de nos <laughs> it's yeah well he always uh entered Stonemobile races under the the name of James Hunt, didn't he, to hide it from Ferrari, the fact that he was doing all this dangerous stuff that he shouldn't be doing. To have only won one world championship is doesn't seem quite enough for Kimi, and and certainly 05 with uh, the McLaren, he was just that that was one of the the mightiest seasons I've ever seen from a driver. I think in uh, in terms of pure pay, so one championship maybe not enough, but on balance that's that's okay. Well, it's it's more than we've managed between us, so fair play to him. Um, but I thought I thought quite a, a telling stat so far out of his three hundred what's he done three hundred and forty one starts or whatever it is 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 the amount of fastest laps. You know, forty six. You compare that to it's quite striking as a percentage to a lot of other drivers, and I think it gets slightly skewed now with the the point for fastest lap and people further down pitting to try and nick it at the end or Valtteri trying to claim the fastest lap and Valtteri it's James and bought the fastest lap scores the fastest lap anyway um it hmm. to, to get 46 over most of his career being in a pure no get the fastest lap you were the fastest man in the race over one lap as as a, a more traditional competition uh I think shows his uh his speed but yeah he'll uh, he'll be sorely missed definitely cheers Kimmy there's Jim there just enjoying the uh, the Kimmy spirit maybe that's what his future is Mate, you know, like uh, celebrities, they have. Uh, I mean, Ryan Reynolds, American Aviation Gin. Mm. Maybe this is what he needs to do: create his own, uh, his own, his own range of of spirits and alcohol. Why not? Uh, t- to be fair, any alcohol with Kimmy's name on the side of it, I would drink that, and I would drink a lot of that. So he can make a lot of money doing that. I'd fill my tank with it. <laughs> You'd be better than uh, be better than E10. You have to call it something like High Speed Bender, wouldn't you? There'd need to be a name Some, for yeah, it. Yeah, something like that. So we've had quite a a bit of news uh, off track. I mean, on track we had, well, I think we've certainly spent longer talking about uh, driver market moves than there was in the Belgian Grand Prix, which uh, I think the less said about that, the better. But it was good to see George get his uh, his first podium. I thought the um, procedure and what they did and should they have brought the race forward, I mean, that's, that's, you know, a topic that could go on for hours and hours and hours. But what I did like was there was some reward for the Saturday qualifying. A few drivers have said it, and I think George Russell's lap was probably one of the best laps i've ever seen i mean I, I i think in terms of where the car was and where he ended up i'd i'd put that on a par with senna's famous monaco pole lap which often gets cited as one of the greatest laps ever it's i think that's got to be there or thereabouts for it for for what he managed to get out of the car but but i mean belgium was a, a couple of nasty shunts there so i think they were best off to err on the side of caution weren't they i mean the the w series shunt that happened was was just awful to watch i mean there were shades of antoine hubert and juan manuel carrera's accident there just you know a car stationary sideways across the track and another car comes in and, and t-bones it sideways but there was five or six cars ended up there and and really not certainly not a slow part of the track so it's i, I don't want to see o rouge get sanitized too much but i think a bit of gravel runoff 
um, you know, open up, move the barriers back a little bit. Just, just something needs to be done. So if a car goes off there, far too often it ends up coming back and being too near to the track or too near to the racing line, and it ends up being uh, something rather nasty. So I, th I think everybody was quite lucky to walk away from Spa as a weekend without any serious or lasting injuries. Yeah, there was there was a, a massive accident, one of the biggest I've seen in a while, uh, with so many vehicles involved in the. The, the energies at the, the top of Rouge there are just enormous. And the cars really held up very well, better than perhaps I expected, because they're not quite F1 cars. You know, the technology is not quite the same. Uh, they obviously have to pass pretty stringent tests, but the fact that everybody got up and walked away was just uh, just amazing. No, so but then moving on to uh, on to Zandvoort, that was, uh, if, if not the most spectacular race, I thought the atmosphere there was wonderful i mean they it was good to see all the uh the mclaren fans turn out in force and, uh, and paint the track orange um and the, but the the local driver seemed to do quite well as well didn't he so they, they seemed enthusiastic about that but yeah uh, i think i think the crowd definitely made the atmosphere but i also think we should have a few more banked turns in formula one because that that made a few spectacular spins and offs and overtakes around the outside around the inside etc so uh, i think uh abu dhabi was on about chucking a few banked corners in weren't they i mean I, I dare say that's that's probably very needed there's there's nothing i don't think less exciting than a very flat track you know if it's got to have elevations ups and downs and twists and turns to to look dramatic if if nothing else as well as being good fun to drive uh, i mean you think about some of the most famous corners in motorsport Eau Rouge is um, a little bit down, compression uphill over the top, but that looks good. Paddock Hill Bend, you know, is a hell of a drop-off. Uh, the Corkscrew at Laguna Seca, you know, so many of these corners have a, a good amount of up or downhill, or the uh, the carousel at the Nürburgring with some good banking on it. Time to bring the Nürburgring back in as uh, as an F1 circuit? Uh, possibly. Oof. I think that certainly needs a, a damn sight more runoff than it's got at the moment. If, uh, if you think Eau Rouge is bad, then the, the Nordschleife, uh, yeah, maybe maybe not. Much as I'd love to see it, maybe not quite suitable for Formula One. If, I don't if they think had so. a third of the downforce, then maybe. I don't think the surface is good enough for Formula One, is it really? You're looking at a total rebuild to bring that up to modern standards. But I mean, if you could notionally do a total rebuild and keep the undulations and all of the quite frightening aspects of that circuit certainly be a challenge mm. it would be that you'd have to be paying attention perhaps we should start a campaign for them to relink the bits of brooklands that still exist that'd need a bit of resurfacing from what i've seen of late but uh, that would make for some interesting racing would it not just a uh, just a touch well you were you were there the other day weren't you gates i was yes i took the electric mustang mackie to a petrol heads uh, it was the cosworth drivers club national day and as you'd probably expect it was filled to the brim with um with all of the uh, the, the the best that the 80s and 90s had to offer in terms of sierra cosworths and escort cosworths and then later stuff rs's bits and pieces and lots of people i've known for a long time and i was kind of expecting a bit of resistance coming in an electric car and uh, one of my mates I hadn't seen for some time. I said, "Oh, I've come in an electric Mustang." And he goes, "I wouldn't be admitting that." <laughs> but, <laughs> but surprisingly, I reckon I spoke to so many people. But I reckon out of ten, probably eight people out of ten, really positive about the idea of having something like that every day and having something pissed and powered for the weekends because people don't really drive Cosworths all the time anymore, unless you're 
have a lot of money or not enough money and really want a uh, really want a cosy. But I did get to drive up the banking because I was there quite late. Uh, I was there so late, in fact, that um, Brooklyn's had shut, but they hadn't kicked everyone out because there was a wedding going on or wedding reception. So I did get a bit of time to go back and then just have a very slow, <coughs> very slow drive up the banking and see how, how high up I could get in the Mustang. And because the weight's all down really low, it turns out quite far. And um, We'll stick some pictures of this up on the socials so you can see we are at UK Motor Talk everywhere. But I uh, yeah, I managed to get up the banking and, and pitch it round. And I, I know I've said it before, but to drive round there and some of the cars that they were hammering around in with no seatbelt, no real helmet, just a, a sort of a tin lid um, strapped to the top of their head. Just, they must have had, they must have needed trailers to carry their testicles behind them because these, they, <laughs> it, it must have been terrifying, absolutely terrifying to drive around there at speed. Does that, does that help with the centre of gravity if you've got uh, a couple of massive plums just dangling nice and low down? If you could scoop a bit out of the seat, you know, just get them even lower down. Is, is that how they achieve the, the low centre of gravity, I wonder? I suspect it probably happened. I, 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 <laughs> and certainly the pendulum effect as you were cornering would probably help keep the weight just down wouldn't it at any given point i think this was james hunt's comment to um, murray many years ago wasn't it how do you get away with doing that big balls murray <laughs> <laughs> it was a live tv but a typical uh, answer he who dares rodney it, I, just to echo what you're saying i'm a regular at brooklyn's it's not far from us and we have a yearly pass that we renew every year for the very good reason that it's just such a great place to go to it and is just just walking or trying to walk up the banking is scary enough in itself and when you're stood there looking either way and just imagining them thundering around there mm. yes it, it just gives you such an appreciation for the size of the appendages these people must have been carrying unless we forget they were women as well so the equivalent of big ovaries i don't know whatever they use that's very <laughs> alan partridge but uh, but yeah seriously it's a fantastic place we, we were there at the weekend as well and they were doing some autocrossing on the start finish straight which they can now do having shifted yes. the hangar and the farnborough motor club were there flinging around things like uh, Fiesta STs of the same vintage that uh, you two take off and play with at times. A lot of Micras, a lot of Nissan Micras. With I've seen lower this. And uh, Lord knows what they're doing to the engines, but they are sound good. And they are brilliant little cars, actually. Having driven the original Micra, yeah. the gearbox, it's like a rifle. It's, it's like a rifle bolt, those things. So I, I think that's probably, they're plentiful, I imagine. They're 16-valve engines that can rev, and they're lightweight. Yep. So and they're why they're using them. Yeah, absolutely. My my brother, who who is the complete opposite to me when it comes to cars, he doesn't clean them. He doesn't really maintain them. He ma he bought my dad. My dad had an immaculate Focus. This thing was absolutely mint. I remember he had it about a month before he stuffed it into his driveway wall and took two doors out. <laughs> but uh, he gave me a call one day to say he got this weird banging noise coming from it, and he'd hit a speed bump so hard he'd snapped the gearbox mount. I've never seen anyone what? do this in. Yeah, in, in 10 years of, of automotive history, in terms of working automotive history, I've never seen anyone snap a gearbox mount by hitting a speed bump so hard. Mark 1 Focus is, is about as bulletproof as a car gets, apart from maybe an SM Micro. But nevertheless, his first car, he wasn't sure what to get, and I went out and said, right, we're going to go and buy the best Nissan Micro we can buy, best history or whatever. And he didn't do a single thing to it in the entire time he had it. He must have had it about four years. Didn't change the oil didn't clean it, didn't do anything. I think the worst thing that happened, he managed to kind of snap a drive shaft, um, which I then fixed. But that, apart from that, it was just 
absolutely bulletproof this thing and yeah I've seen a load of them being used for the Jim Carnery type stuff recently and the auto testing and there must be a reason for it there was a few of them at the uh, British Motor Show at Farnborough wasn't it sort of the sight of a Nissan Micra wasn't particularly exciting, but then once it got going, it was uh, that it was quite entertaining, wasn't it? And sounded pretty good, has to be said, yeah. Mm. And the the Mustang that was flinging itself around wasn't quite so elegant, but probably sounded a bit better. But I guess there's there's something about the size of a Micra which makes it perfect for that kind of thing. It it, it definitely to, to circle back to uh, to Brooklyn. There's definitely one of those places that it's it's well worth going to, whether you're just a general fan of, of motoring, motor racing or aviation, because uh, they've got both. There's a strong history for both. Or if you just want to go there for a day out, take a picnic, sit outside, go to the bus museum, whatever it is, take a, a ride in old Route Master and it's, it's a cracking day out. I must take uh, another trip up to Brooklands in the not too distant future. I think that the last time I was there was uh, I met Hecky Coverlinen when he was driving for McLaren. So that's shows how long ago that was what was that 2008 but i had we to were there for that oh blimey yeah there was oh well there you are we were wandering around before uh, our paths had become intertwined but uh, yeah. i had to uh, to park on the banking and uh, you know the advice was park park as high up as you can and and go from there so i reversed all the way up to the edge and then this was on a, a 95 toyota mr2 so the handbrake was a bit agricultural put the handbrake on as many clicks as I dared to not snap the cable and just rolled very serenely down to the very front row and that was it. And I was like, well, that's that, that's all I can do. That's all the handbrake will take. But it was it seemed a shame to be using the, the banking and the outer track as a car park, really. It's what they used to yeah. do. I'm just pleased that as much of it has been preserved as it has, but definitely definitely worth going as a, as a, a family day out or on your own or whatever. It's, it's brilliant because there's so much to see there. And I'm, I'm not just... I'm not trying to sell it for them. I'm not being paid by them much as I wish I was. But the <laughs> lovely thing about having the pass and living so close is the fact that you can just go for the afternoon or go for the whole day. You go and see something different every time because there's so much on the site and so much to mm. see. Like you say, it's got a it's got a very um, very illustrious history, not just in motorsport but rightly also in uh, aviation. And you can indulge yourself in whichever you wish. Even buses, if that's your thing. Not so much for me, but um, it has its place. Even just walking through Concord is uh, spectacular. Mm, it's you great. Know, there, aren't too, there aren't too many places you can traverse the length of the Concord and realise just how small that plane really was. Mm. Proper enthusiasts run it as well, don't they? Let's, let's face it, Brooklyn's whether yeah, you go yeah. to... Whether it's the Marshalls, whether you go to the museum, or whether you go across to, to the bus museum, we, we took the um, Routemaster bus tour, which we thought was going to take us around the site. Uh, it's 45 minutes. Drew, <laughs> you drive out there from, from Weybridge all the way through Walton on Thames and everything and back again. So it's quite a decent run. Not quite what we were expecting, but yeah, it's, it's, it's good fun. Good fun. They've got the um, McLaren exhibition there at the minute as well, where they've got the prototype Senna mm. which was the the concept car that they released a couple of years ago I think it was at Geneva and they've also got the test and development um, GT car which has still got all the sensors mounted in the back glued down and taped down in the under tray and the diffuser at the rear accompanied by a Lego model of I think it's a 570s or a 620 I can't remember which but it's resplendent in orange and it's absolutely fantastic that would be bearing in mind how much Lego models cost, and I love them as much as the next person. You imagine how much it would cost to have one that size. Bearing in mind, like a small cage room or something is about eighty quid. <laughs> Two or three years ago at uh, Festival of Speed, I think it was on the um, Clarence stand there, they had a climb aboard full size Lego because uh, I've got a little piece of film of grandson driving I think this I did Lego that too. Yeah, hmm. 
fabulous. This company that builds these things. Yeah. Vast amount of money involved. But this one is, I've just, just looked back over my photos. It's a 720S and it was built at McLaren by a team of six people. I'm not quite sure how long it took them, but there's, um, I've got a couple of photos. I'll again, I'll put those up, and um, we can put them on the socials, hopefully. But it's it's amazing. I mean, what they've managed to do. They even the even the brake discs are made of um, Lego. It's uh, the only things that aren't. I think are the actual um, the actual wheels. The wheels are the only real thing on the car. Mm. I'm pleased they made it of a 720 as well because this might be controversial. Maybe not. I don't think the Senna's a very good looking car. No. No, the centre's not a good-looking car at all. It's dramatic. Uh, It's definite function over form, so that gives it an inherent appeal, but it's certainly Mm. not a beautiful car to look at. It's it's there to do a tool, you know, it's a tool to do a job, isn't it? This is like the alien in Aliens. It it has that, uh, say, that that function of being the ultimate predator, and it has the weird sort of jawline and everything else. It's not so slimy, obviously, but... (laughs) But, never, but nevertheless, it's not pretty. Um, we know a chap who owns a Senna, and he said exactly the same thing, didn't he? In, in his, he has a, a number of cars in his collection, in, and in that garage, he had um, a Porsche GT, Carrera GT. He had a 488 Pista. He had a lot of different cars, some very, very nice cars in there. And he had the Senna in the middle, and he said, this is an incredible car, but it isn't pretty, is it? He also had an alien in the garage as well, to be fair. so Oh, no, this is the other chap. Oh, so, sorry, I forget. We know so many people who own fantastically exotic supercars. And aliens. Well, and not us. Yeah. Yes. There was, <laughs> there was a, a brilliant moment where I was, I was stood there and, and he was allowing us to, to have a look over the cars and, and sort of uh, go through them um, on the understanding that we wouldn't leave a deposit on any. And uh, I was there holding the door up um, to a LaFerrari. And then stopped, and you just said to me, "You're right." I said, "Well, it just just occurs to me that if I get this wrong, and I just smash his door into the wall, or something goes badly wrong with this, then his door's probably worth more than my house. That would be a, a very expensive repair, wouldn't it? It's that moment you just lift the door off, and but, you know, more something than goes badly wrong. Was it? You just look at him and say, "I can't afford to fix this. Goodbye." <laughs> that's and it. that's it. I mean, your friendship's over, and that's it. But it's it's you know, what's what's more important, friendship or a house? <laughs> well. <laughs> There is that. I mean, he's a lovely chap. I wouldn't want to do that to his cars, to be honest. He's genuinely, no, genuinely a nice chap with it. Does a lot, of, a huge amount with the cars for charity, and you can't really begrudge him that he's worked, worked very hard for them. But quite a collection. The Senna, though, is is definitely not not a pretty car, but definitely one of the ones that I, th- I would love to drive. Well, that's uh, one advantage of sitting inside. You don't have to look at the outside. <laughs> Well, that's very true. There are some cars that are like that. They're better on the inside than they are on the outside. The Lamborghinis are not my favourites. I think that's true of some TVRs as well. I, I am a fan of TVRs, and I do generally like the outside of them. But I think the insides were, in many respects, better than the outsides, just through their craziness and their wraparound dash and their leather everywhere. It was, hang on a second, there's just a scooter blasting past. I'm very mind I live in a clothes. I'm not quite sure he's managed that. Quite an, an exotic place to be, more so than I think in some cases, the rest of the car attached to it was, especially if you think about some of the some of the Griffs, the um, with the Rover V8s, which were, I, I think, quite a cool piece of machinery. Griffiths was a great drive. I really liked the analog feel of them. It was a really good car to drive, the Griffiths, but enormously expensive to run. Ridiculous. I drove one from the south coast to the Birmingham Motor Show and back, and I almost had to sell my house to pay for the fuel. 
you say that, but one of uh, one of the guys that we work with used to run one every day, didn't he, Jim? Yeah, he had a, a Chimera, and I think it had done nineteen or twenty thousand miles when he bought it. And the the last time I saw it, it had done fifty something thousand miles. I mean, when when he used to drive, he he never drove it over winter. Uh, but when he'd wheel it out and tax it and drive it over the summer, he'd do 150, 200 miles a week in it. And the the thing was bulletproof. It, it had a slight issue with um, the immobiliser electronics not long after he bought it, just a, a loose wire causing the, the car to cut out, or the fuel pump to cut out ever so slightly every now and again. Uh, once he got to the bottom of that, it was um, maintenance. It was, you know, brake discs and pads and tyres and bushes and bearings, and that was about it, really. The immobilizers were a common problem on the on the Griffiths. I got one stuck in Sainsbury's car park with an immobilizer that simply wouldn't go off. It was embarrassing. Well, I can speak from semi-personal experience. A mate of mine has just completely rebuilt his Cerbera from nut and bolt back up to better than it left Blackpool, which, to be fair to Blackpool, probably wasn't too <laughs> tricky. No, it's not, not hard. <laughs> not hard. But the immo- but the immobiliser, he, he swapped it out for another one because he said that thing was just a crock. It was just absolutely useless. And the reason being, apparently, because obviously TVRs are um, GRP fibreglass, they don't have a particularly good set of earths on them. And um, more often than not, ah. the immobilisers were wired the wrong way round. So they didn't have an earth, so they couldn't return the power, so they never worked. That's always the case with uh, with afterthoughts or aftermarkets or retrofits from manufacturers, isn't it? I remember having a, a Mark One Focus RS for a couple of evenings back in the day, and the, the worst thing about it was the alarm, because it had the Ford yes. standard factory alarm on it, but because they were so high risk... Ford had fitted some weird and wonderful aftermarket alarm to it, which didn't play nicely that. with the Ford alarm. And it, it, it no. would just go off every two minutes for no reason. And, and it was just awful. I think Clarkson said the same about his GT alarm, didn't they? Because mm. that was a, that was mm. a retrofit. It, uh, it just doesn't seem to work well when manufacturers do that. And there's... Um, where manufacturers have to change their mind, you know, the, the Lotus Elise, I think, was never conceived to have uh, any sort of roof at all. It was just conceived as an open top, and if it rains, you get wet, get on with it. And halfway through, the powers that be said, oh, no, well, we need to have a roof. And the, the least, you know, least reliable, least decent bit of the car, I think, was the roof, because it would always leak and snap and not fit properly, etc. So it's... um. Yeah, there's, there's probably a theme there. Once you build it, don't don't add to it afterwards. I picked up a TVR S3C, I think it was, one of the really early ones before they got going with the Griffiths, etc. And I picked it up from the dealership and in a torrential rainstorm. And after a few miles, I had to stop and open the doors to let the water out. <laughs> <laughs> All the footballs were just just a wash. See, I th- I think that's a staggering testament to the build quality of the lower door seals. Because in most cars, the, the water would have simply fall, fallen out of the bottom of the doors. So the fact that the car could even physically start to fill up is is just pure testament. So the wading depth must have been, well, at, at least up to the top of the doors. So there we are. It was the world's first amphibious vehicle. It's basically a bathtub is what they've created yeah. there, isn't it? Pretty uh, much, a fiberglass yeah. bathtub. You're not normally at risk of drowning on a test drive, though. <laughs> Uh, some years later, Ford managed to repeat that act with a Focus CC. But yeah, I think the, the Focus was always designed to have a roof, wasn't it? And then when some bright yes. spark came up with the idea of let's take the roof off, that uh, that didn't yes. work too well, did it? 
it's just that lovely moment where you'd, you'd go around a corner and if you're on a right-hander, the way that the roof would leak was always directly straight into your crotch. It was nowhere else. So it was probably fine for the European market because you yes. go around roundabouts the other way, so it would only ever be the passenger that would get wet. So that's okay. I had to start planning my journeys with only left-hand turns, which is harder than you might think. Uh, because every time you turn right, you'd be like, oh, here we go again. And it would have been just that moment where it, the rain had got very heavy and it was particularly cold and it would just pit straight through the roof behind the sun visor, straight into your lap. You're like, oh, here we go again. To the point where you'd have to actually go and take something and lay it over your lap when you were driving. <laughs> very weird experience and a very crap roof seal. And I remember replacing these seals on the roof for someone once uh, at a cost of a couple of grand. Um, because they've revised the seals to stop this from happening in the end, but it was a couple of grand to, to do it. And they weren't particularly quick and they didn't handle particularly well. I thought they were quite cool looking, apart from the fact that you got wet in the rain <laughs> with the roof up. So in other things in the news then, well, I have noticed, and I think we probably all have noticed really, that the Koreans seem to be leading the charge. No no pun intended, pun intended, um, for electric vehicles. You've had things like the Kona and the Soul EV. We've had the Ionic 5, which is quite interesting. Uh, and now we have the EV6, which is the, the new Kia, which is is crazy good looking to my eye. I think that's that's, if you've not seen it, it's definitely worth doing a Google or going and having a look on our socials. So the EV6 has a sort of eye pace front end and then the back end has got a bit of the Aston Martin DBX about it and then it's just a good looking thing I, I reckon a really strong looking car so you think where they come from in quite a short amount of time from the Kia Pride in the 90s to today I mean my my first car and I know that you guys love me for this was a Kia Picanto SE and it was it was I'd great I'd forgotten because, about the Kia Pride yes I think everyone's forgotten about the Kia Pride with its white wall tyres I have a sudden urge to look up a Kia Pride oh I think they were a Ford Festiva or something. Yeah, it was a rebadged Ford. Yeah. A friend of mine's mum had one of those in, uh, I think it was turquoise on uh, on the outside, that thing. That was a, that was quite a beast. My neighbour's daughter had one in purple. You could get the American equivalent, the Festiva, with uh, with very thin white wall tyres for the real real Florida look, if you wanted. Go for mm. the pale blue with the white wall tyres. Yeah, they've come on. They have come on quite a way. I mean, those of us of, uh, of a certain vintage can even remember the Pony, very unfortunate name for the car, and the Stella as well, which was the mini cab of choice in the uh, mid to late 80s <laughs> around our way. Um, often seen with a magnet mount aerial on the boot and, uh, and a smell of sick emanating from the back seat. No, they've definitely come on, and the mm, yeah. the Ionic Five is just a cracking looking thing. It's very deceptively large. It's um, it looks like a hatchback that's been photocopied at one and a half times, but it's it's an astonishing car. And where the Koreans are going now is just like you say, they're leading. I think they are leading quite mm. literally, if you pardon the pun, the charge. I think that I'm, I, I can't say I'm totally sold on the the looks of the Ionic Five. I mean, there's I, I like a few bits about it, the headlights and and the tail lights, that pixelated effect, etc. But as I, overall, I, I'm I'm not 100 percent convinced. I think it I think it mm. photographs better than it looks in the flesh. Yes, that's unusual, isn't it? Because there are a lot of cars which are the other way around. Supposedly this Kia is is the same. I think the the Mustang Mackie is looks better in the flesh than it does in photos but yeah Definitely. when we saw the ionic 5 up close 
it, it is huge. It does look like it's, as you say, it's that one and a half times the size it, it should be. But it, it didn't feel quite the quality product I was hoping. But where this Kia is interesting is that it, it looks like a 60 grand car, maybe more. It's about 40 grand. You can have them in rear wheel drive. You can have them in all wheel drive. The ranges are over 300 miles. And they are 0 to 60 for all wheel drive in about five seconds, about six seconds for rear wheel drive. And there's a GT coming, which is about three and a half seconds, which sounds, let's say, familiar. You can it see helps. who they're pitching this car at because it's the same as the Mustang Mach-E. Is it a better looking car? Maybe. I think if you like a more traditional interior, albeit a nicely finished one, then perhaps it might be the car for you. But it's, I think it's a really great looking thing. It's supposed to drive really well. Haven't driven it yet. Um, look forward to giving that a go. But if you consider most of the world's major brands took uh, well over a century to to build uh, a global presence. Uh, yeah. You know the Koreans have done. That. Yes, they've done that in less than three decades, and, yeah. and that's so, uh, quite impressive. I mean, I mentioned my Kia Bacanto, my beloved Kia Bacanto SE, which uh, got me some ribbing from my mates, particularly when the advertising campaign came out and the it started the advert. They played a bit of music, and it was. Girls, why buy a car with three doors when you can buy one with five? Like, <laughs> you've got oh the girls' car. God. I know, uh, but it had you know this this car way back when was uh, it was a pre-reg, so it was near enough brand new. It had some sticks on the side of it, but it had electric windows all round, which was quite unusual. And certainly, some manufacturers don't bother putting them in the back still for some unknown reason. It had air conditioning, Ford. which Ford. again was <laughs> Ford, <laughs> which again was a, a, a bit unusual. It had. A CD player that played MP3s, which again was quite unusual. Um, so you got quite a lot for your money and a decent warranty. Now these things have become far more common. You expect the same level of, of equipment. This was something like a pound down and a hundred pounds a month or some some nonsense. So I, it, for me, it was cheaper than fixing the car if it went wrong. I knew how much it was going to cost me every month. That's less than I used to pay for a season ticket to get the bus at university. It was fantastic value. And you used to be able to fill it up for under 25 quid. I don't know if that tells you more about the cost of fuel back in 2005 when I passed my test or whether it tells you more about Possibly. the car. <laughs> but nevertheless, it was a pretty good car in the end, apart from the fact that I think it had a replacement head because it used some coolant, had a replacement gearbox for some reason. The GEM module failed. And uh, so that's the fuse box, basically. And something else broke on it. Apart from that, all things are fixed under warranty. And as a first car, it didn't go too far I was going to say, it doesn't matter, does it? Because it's got a, a million-to-year warranty. So does the reliability matter if you've got a warranty with it? Not really. No. I mean, it was hideously expensive to service, though. I remember the servicing being something like £100 for the first year, 250 for for the second year, and then £400 for the third year. And it sort of just started going up and up and up. I don't know, it was really expensive, or a cheap warranty, depending on which way you look at it. Um, mm. But my point is that that was a pretty basic car, which, yes, the people used to take the out of me for owning. Now, Kia, much like Skoda, are no joke. And it's the same, when they partnered with Hyundai, and you started getting the Gets and the cars that they were sharing the same platforms, quality improved and improved and improved. Admittedly, now the price of uh, Kia is as much as the equivalent Ford or whatever, but the quality is, is pretty much there and you, they come loaded with tech. Now we've moved into electric cars. They've, they've got on it much sooner than a lot of other manufacturers have. And they're churning out some pretty incredible cars that you can use every day. They're realistic cars with realistic ranges, you know, 300 miles plus or whatever, that don't cost the earth, that look good. The European manufacturers really need to be watching their backs. 
lest we forget, Hyundai are a major shareholder in Remac, who are very good at making electric cars go very, very fast. Just ask uh, Richard Hammond. Uh, he was yeah. going very fast until it stopped going very fast and started going very hot. But they are really pushing the boundaries, it would appear, Hyundai. And they're also hedging their bets because just recently they have announced that they also see their future being a combination of both battery only but also hybrid with hydrogen power. Now, this is... This is going to be very interesting because I've always been a fan of hydrogen as an alternative to the, the battery technology. I think it's batteries and electric power have had the head start, but I think hydrogen is a very feasible alternative fuel for the future, and we're going to have to find mm. alternatives. Um, they have just this just this week actually announced this Vision FK concept which is this hydrogen fuel cell sports car. It's only a concept at the minute but it's uh, alleged to have 671 brake horsepower so that's going to be quite interesting and mm. they reckon that this is also in concept with Remax, so it's got the pedigree underneath it. So if you've got a combination of this new generation fuel cell that they're also bringing in and uh, and the Remax battery technology, um, you'd be hard-pressed to bet against it. They're talking about going for uh, motorsport with this as well because uh, somebody said it's a very good, uh, just to quote them, uh, it said, how many hydrogen race series are there in the world? Zero. But maybe in four years, things could be different. Now, that sounds to me like a statement of intent from their man at the top. Mm. I like the sound of that, but I, I just spurred on by our, our talk of the Kia EV6. I've just hopped on the uh, the Kia website and uh, as as all manufacturers, they seem to be pushing buying the car online rather than visiting a dealer but it's it actually represents quite good value at the moment so i've just specced up a, a kia ev6 uh, i've gone for the gt so with a big battery all-wheel drive etc i've had to pay to put some metallic paint on there uh, but the total cost of the vehicle uh, appears to be 675 pounds oh can you get me one right. while you're there yeah so let's, that, let's that, pick that, up a couple that, that seems to represent good value for me that the car is free i mean it irritates me that you have to pay them 675 pounds to paint it because it's not like you can get it without paint on it or a, a free of charge or a lower cost option but to, to be fair i'm currently adding this to my basket to see if i can indeed order one online mm. I, th I think there's a problem with the website there but as to be fair as most manufacturers seem to have a problem with their website in the moment in that they don't work or there's no actual information on there it does seem to be a, a bit of a, a, a perennial problem with all the uh the buy online new car websites but to, to go back to, to hydrogen i think you're right in terms of having a future. I suspect it's probably a decade away from being viable. Electric is probably the, the, the short, medium-term future. But it's going to take a while to, to get hydrogen cars out there and then have a, a sensible way of filling them up and having a decent network for, for doing that. We've got a bit sidetracked, I think, with the, the battery technology because the, you know, I can remember driving hydrogen cars late 80s, very early 90s. Not many of them. They were very experimental, but they were there, they were around. But I think we've then gone into electric cars in such a big way that all the development seems to have, have ceased virtually on, on hydrogen power, which has an awful lot of advantages. I know it has a big safety disadvantage, but I think I drove a 7 Series BM in about 1990 or 91, something like that. 
which was hydrogen powered. And basically they said, you can drive it as far as the tank will take you because we don't want you filling it up and you probably wouldn't find anywhere anyway. Very impressive as a motor car. Couldn't fault it. But we seem to have uh, gone down perhaps slightly the wrong road in going for the battery technology, whereas hydrogen and the fuel cell is the, the way of the future. But it shouldn't be such a long future. That does seem to happen quite a lot with the, the motor industry in general, though, doesn't it? Because I think electric cars as a, a concept are nearly as old, if not older, if not only slightly younger than internal combustion engine cars, mm. yet internal combustion took over. And, uh, you know, you mentioned the safety of filling up with hydrogen, etc. I mean, with the general standard of the general public, to, to be allowed to put highly flammable fluid in your own vehicle seems a bit, a bit risky, to be honest. I mean, you read the the risks of hydrogen and explosion and what happens if you do things wrong. Well, to be fair, they're not that dissimilar to petrol, are they? And the general public are allowed to fill their cars up with petrol, so why not hydrogen? I sort of remember just to uh, how not to do it, being in Istanbul, I think about 10, 12 years ago, uh, and walking down a street where somebody was filling up with kerosene, with heating oil. And the, the hose was leaking all over the place. It was like a bloody river running down the street. You know, no total disregard for for safety. And then we walked past a warehouse full of gas cylinders and, you know, the guys were just sitting there smoking and playing cards. I think this sounds like an early scene out of uh, of Airplane or something. This this is the scene where he's walking up to the plane on the runway, isn't it? And all this stuff is just happening in the background. <laughs> Very true. It's very true, and and the the uh, unguarded basements, which uh, sort of amused me. If you if you you're blind in Istanbul, you stand a great risk of dying quite quickly by falling down a basement, which has got no railings around it. That would have made, if you pardon the pun, for a very interesting trip. Which reminds me, someone else within the team has had quite an interesting trip oh, this week. Here we go. Now, have for, we for, not, for, all, for all our listeners at home, I, I think you all just need to, to pause the podcast briefly and just, just nip over to our uh, our channel on YouTube and have a look at the uh, the original video. Uh, the, there is a remix floating oh. around, which uh, I spent a bit of time today on... Uh, doing a slight sort of repeat loop, basically teaching myself video editing, but I was quite proud of the results. But I don't think we can put that up for uh, copyright reasons because of the music used. But the, the, the ring camera that you have guarding your doorbell, I mean, that that's quite possibly, if, if there's no other reason on this planet to buy uh, a ring camera doorbell system, it's, it's videos like this. So just just pop over and have a look. But I think that if, if you're not, watching it or you haven't watched it it's it's no more dramatic than basically you just walking out and just completely stacking it and and crashing into the side of your Full own house stacking it. plant pots or something went went scattering across the garden but if if we can just play in a bit of the audio now so if if you're in the car or whatever and you haven't got a chance to to watch it just have a listen to this and just just bear with me listeners if you will picture in your mind's eye a man serenely stepping out of the front door bidding his darling wife and loving child a goodbye and a good day, only to full-on stack it and, using the rear of his skull, headbutt the side of his house uh, as hard as he possibly can and end up in a crumpled heap on the floor with uh, with possibly a back injury to boot. Just, just have a listen to this and, and just use the power of the mind's eye.
Listener, and I just... cannot tell you how much amusement this has caused, <laughs> Mr. Baxter. All we have seen on the WhatsApp group all week is James Baxter laughing his little socks off. It's It's been quite something to behold. It's, I tell you. it's to be Schadenfreude. It's it's not just me. It it is uh, people in in a completely separate group of friends. Uh, we meet up and play poker every now and again. They found it most entertaining. Uh, everyone that we work with has found it rather entertaining. Uh, everybody that lives with everybody that we work with has found it rather entertaining. But I mean, hats hats off to you, and indeed glasses off to you, and and plum pots off to you for for having the bravery. <laughs> to stick it in a WhatsApp group pretty much as soon as it happened. I mean, it's just a treasure. It's, it is one of the greatest things that's happened to me this year is, is watching that video. It is, but for if if you're going through and watching it, I, I think between the 375th and 425th time of watching is is when it sort of hits peak funniness for most people. Uh, and if, if, even my wife, who is, you know, ev- ever the caring soul, I sent it to her. And and she replied with almost instantly, you know, oh my god, is he okay? That looked horrible. Uh, and I that. replied with and, and just said yes, you know, physically he's fine, mentally probably not, but who knows. And then about three hours later, she she WhatsApp me and said, is it wrong that it gets funnier the more you watch it? So I don't <laughs> think she'd done a lot else other other than to watch it for a few hours. But it's uh, no, just just cheers to you. That's that's brightened my week up no end. Well done. Well, this was this was the first thing month. <laughs> There's a wonderfully was, Laurel and Hardy touch about it, isn't there? This was first thing Monday morning. So you know how Monday morning sometimes they are just they are just really crap. And this was me stepping into Monday morning. By, I went out the front door. I have no idea really how it happened, but it was just like my left leg wasn't there. So I just disappeared straight off, head-butted what used to be a water feature. It's like a giant porcelain egg into next door's garden. <laughs> what was worse was that my next door neighbour and her daughter, who's a little baby, were in the living room. The baby heard the noise and freaked because it made a hell of a bang as, it went, as I went down. And then I watched it back. I just stood up and just went, oh, it's, it's, oh, it's happened. Have, God, this has happened again, isn't it? Uh, oh, but it's, yeah. it's it's very PG friendly because uh, there's no it swearing, is. there's no nothing. No. You know, I, I half expected for you to stand up and and invent a couple of new swear words. So uh, f- fair yes. play for for keeping it family friendly. So I could I could show my daughter and uh, it, it did give her a little <laughs> chuckle as well. But. Well, my son's watched it four times this afternoon. Admittedly, the version with the music over the top, and he seems to be enjoying watching Daddy fall over several times. And then just looks at my hand oh. and goes. Daddy Ow. Daddy Ow. Um, Always Daddy Ow. Daddy Ow. <laughs> Goodness knows how it happened. I'm pleased it's brought so many people such amusement. So on that rather painful note, I guess it's time that we ended this podcast. I hope you enjoy watching the video of me falling over sideways through my front door. And otherwise, thank you for listening. It's been great chatting to you again. So from me, Mike, it's goodbye. From me, Jim, it's goodbye. From me, Graham, it's goodbye. Good luck. And from me, Dave, goodbye. Take care. Speak to you next time. UK Motor Talk, a first take media production.